listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast. Uh, guys, welcome to the Live, Live, Play podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Kessler, and today, again, he is back. The Don is Kevin. Uh, Kevin is over in Ireland running, um, he ran a seminar yesterday, um, and uh, he did some stuff with our guys, a mini seminar with our guys today. And again, there were some knowledge bombs dropped, and... The one thing I actually, I actually had a bone to pick with him over something. <laughs> I was gonna go at him, but he got there before me and explained why, and I was like, "Shit, he's right again." Um, <laughs> but today we're gonna. First, of Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Number and six. I think maybe the sixth time. Six. Well, the sixth time. Yeah. So obviously we met first maybe five or six years ago yeah. when I came to your old. The old, old. yeah. Was it old or old, old? No, no, just old. Just it just was really limited in what we had. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and we stayed in touch, and yep. it's good to be back again and sharing some information with your uh, your new coaches. Yeah, and like as as Kevin mentioned, over the years we've um, we've seen. This, is that? It is on. I was like, is it, oh my god! <laughs> I like, but like the the first seminar you did with us was uh, a deadlift seminar. Um, you were selling like literally sell a t-shirt, buy a t-shirt, come to the seminar. Yeah. You did that for a few years. You like, traveled around, did all that. You came back. You taught another workshop. Uh, then you were here with Brand X. Uh, then you did another seminar last year, and then back again. And in that time, you've literally worked with everyone that's worked their salt in strength and conditioning, um, powerlifting, any sort of strength. Like you, you studied with Mark Ripto, you've trained with Mark Bell, you've yep. met Ed Cohen, you've done so much. And since we last met, now you're world renowned. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was shocked at because I was very, uh, I didn't hear that first. I uh, thought it would have been, he would have sent me a message going just to let you know. But I suppose you never know until someone starts saying it. Which is a cool thing because you go around, you, you travel the world, you literally, your, your whole purpose really is helping people make better decisions when they're with their clients or helping clients make better decisions to achieve their goals. Um, for you as a person, how does that, like I know you said, you, like you told me before, you want to make an impact. How do you feel after doing, like knowing that you've helped so many people change how they help people in, in their gyms and just like how does that make you feel as a person in general? Do you get gratitude from that? Because you mightn't see the outcome from a lot of these people, do you, does it even kind of come across you at any time or? Yeah, so, you know, fortunately sometimes people message me and you know, I've had messages from people that I've met maybe three or four years ago that tell me that they're still using things that I taught them. Mm. And that's, that's to me makes it kind of worthwhile too. Um, it's always feels nice when people will say thank you to you and it's yeah. something because I mentioned earlier on that I'm no different from other people and that it doesn't matter how much knowledge or information I've absorbed and obtained is that I can still be um, experiencing imposter syndrome you know is that sometimes I think to myself well you know what was they could just go and talk to Ed Cohen or yeah. Mark Bell or people like that why why talk to someone like me and it's just that 
you know, it's nice to get messages coming from people to say thank you or that I really made a good impact on that. So like you said, my, my goal was always to try and help as many people as possible. There'll be lots of people that told you I gave them pro bono help, you know, because of course I have to be able to survive and mm. have shelter and food, but I'm also open to helping people as well. Um, and that was why I wanted to try to go to so many different people because, you know, if you go to train with someone like Rip, then what you're going to get is learning about the starting strength model and that's great but it's restricted in some way because there will always be some people that are out with that model mm. and um, you know I think one one phrase which he was known for is that you are not a special snowflake but actually you are yeah. everybody is unique and individual and different and that's why I was then drawn to to working with people like James Fitzgerald in the sense that we can say hey well let's think about individual design how does an individual design program help us because we are all, all unique special snowflakes we need our own program then we've also got another side of that again saying well yes it has the best outcome to have an individual program but maybe not everyone can afford that mm. maybe those people just need some template but it still has to fit what they're doing so yeah it's all about just trying to educate myself and trying to help people as much as possible and i feel like i've been able to do that but I'm also not finished yet yeah. um, because I think the industry is so vast and there's so many people coming online that want to actually just experience a more healthful outcome versus a intensity outcome mm. that I can try to help more people. And even when you said your imposter syndrome, we all get it at a point, and, but as, you, as you're becoming more, more like world-renowned around the world, <laughs> you've done seminars around the world, yeah. um, I'm pretty sure the likes of James Gerald, uh, Ed Cohen, and everyone that we would kind of like, I would look up to in regards to coaching, mm. um, would have had that at some point when they were becoming. Oh, people want to listen to me. People want to talk to me. And I think it's just a natural course of, as you grow and as you become better, uh, and more people are talking about you, then yeah, you're there's a natural kind of order of things as yeah. your popularity as a coach uh, rises, which I think is. It's probably, yeah, it's the natural order, I suppose, if you go to. But we're going to talk about um, specific ages and groups for training today. Um, before Kevin gets on his flight, uh, we're going to have a little chat about that. So we were talking uh, today about, um, obviously, uh, elderly people training weights, the, the, how you should approach it, what you're seeing. And then moving on to uh, something that I think some people will find a little bit hard to hear, but like women and what women should be doing in regards to their strength training. Mm. Um, but we're only giving facts, not opinions. And uh, this is, I give opinions, this man will give facts. Uh, so this is the, the beauty of it. So with regards to uh, the elderly population, one thing that used to, would annoy me as a coach is that I get told, oh, I should do aerobics or I should do this, this, this. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to be doing more resisted training because you're less, your body's getting weaker with age. So the only way to prevent that, and from what I've learned over years, is to resistant strength training is the ultimate in regards to keeping someone muscle density and bone densities healthier for longer as we age. Um, but then you came in, you showed, you actually, I knew that, but I didn't know why. Mm. It just made sense to me, but then obviously you explained that in very uh, in depth today. So, yeah. So just to recap on that, it would be that 
when we're coming to talk about people that are getting older, um, first of all, as a coach, you don't have the right actually to say when someone becomes a master or not, mm. because you can't put an age on it that would be kind of irresponsible coaching protocols because the way where people are going to move from one training uh, sort of type to another is going to be based upon things that we are not in possession of the data, mm. which would be things like hormonal levels and so on. But if we're looking, yes, at masters or the elderly, then what we'd be looking for is that those clients typically are not going to be moving towards a peaking phase. So when we're training younger cohorts, we'd be looking at, um, you know, sort of like they're in the accumulation phase of training and there'll be an intensification train, uh, phase to training. And if you're doing mixed model or CrossFit, there'd also be in addition to that a phase that we call chaos. Mm. Um, now, older athletes or older clients do not necessarily need to go through intensification. They're just going to be kind of running through accumulation all the time. And certainly we should be avoiding chaos. And the main ideas here are that the way that we're going to design programs must always start with the question of what is the intent or just why. So the why for most aging clients is that they simply want to resist the aging process. They don't want their bodies to hurt anymore. Uh, they want to have more freedom to go out and have a walk. They want to play with their grandchildren and so on. They're not looking for a peak or any type of intensity. And what we're looking for is we need to resist what would be hallmarks of aging. And the hallmarks of aging, first of all, is we've got, it's a Latin word and it's uh, sarcopenia and that's the death of the flesh. And that's essentially we're losing muscle mass as we age. And there's many reasons why that happened. First of all, maintaining muscle mass or gaining new muscle mass is an extremely costly endeavor for the human organism. It requires, you know, a lot of energy. Sometimes we know that if you have to build muscle, we're looking for a caloric prophecy. Mm. So it's a very, very costly endeavor in order to develop more muscle. And so we find that older people are losing a lot of muscle mass uh, because they're expending that energy elsewhere in the organism. Um, also, they're losing muscle mass because as we get older, our ability to sense the nutrients that we take in is decreasing. Specifically, we see a huge decrease in nutrient sensing of protein. So your ability to create what we call a muscle protein synthesis event, so just creating and repairing muscle, is massively decreased. Specifically, we see a, a lack of or absorption of uh, one of the amino acids called leucine. So you would be looking for older people who should really be consuming an awful lot more amino acids and more protein basically than a younger cohort to have the same outcome. So we would need to think about how we need to train aging people to resist first of all loss of muscle mass. And the way we're going to do that <coughs> is via tension. So tension is anything where the body is being pulled along by gravity and that lengthening process is being resisted, trying to pull us short again by soft tissues. So in this case, we can say muscles, ligaments, and tendons. So a tension force application is really important during the training of aging clients. So think about things where they're hanging from a pull-up bar, think about the arms in a farmer's carry or in a deadlift, something like that. We need to have an element where they're being pulled long and they're resisting that by contracting muscle. Next thing is that we need to overcome the side effect, what we call osteopenia, 
which is kind of like a midway point between healthy bone and osteoporosis. It's not quite at that far end yet, and it's just a loss of bone mineral density. We know that with aging clients, we find that you know they can fall over and easily break a bone. So we know that you know they're falling over because they're losing stability and balance because of loss of muscle mass and motor control. But then they're falling down breaking bones because bone mineral density is decreased. So therefore, not only do we have to have tension for overcoming the soft tissue stuff with the muscles, but we need to have what we call a compressive force. And that's where our body is being made smaller or shortened by the force of gravity. And that compressive force is being resisted by our hard tissues, so in this case our bones. So therefore it's extremely important to have a compressive element involved in addition to a tension element. And I think that's something that we see tends to be older people avoid that, thinking that you know maybe they shouldn't be doing barbell squats. Mm. But top-down compression is very important because one of the biological laws is called Wolf's Law. And Wolf's Law is simply that you know your bones will adapt to the load under which they're placed. So if you increase the top-down loading on a bone, then it's going to adapt to that and the bone mineral density will increase and the bone will become harder again. So this is also important for aging clients in order to help us to resist the aging phenotype, we call it, just getting older. And then we, like, and we, we again, we spoke about this just before off camera. Um, people designing kind of master's programs, or, and they're literally just, it's like kind of what they're doing with novices or with kids. Um, they're just rehashing it in a different way. They're just mm -hmm. putting a specific group together, but they're not really changing an awful lot to it. Yeah. Um, which is, probably going to then start ruining because then there'll be a lot of obviously information out there that people are getting broken mm. in, by doing the wrong type of programming and if you were to pick like you said like hanging hanging like is <coughs> hang straight in tension and then compression so uh you're putting a load on the body and then moving it but we're not talking about like olympic lifting or like being the world's strongest 80 year old or 60 year old or whatever it's just about what it's a little bit of resistance that will make the quality for the hour that you're working with your client to make their, their other 23 hours a better quality of life. It's not trying to recreate this age old, I wanted to be an athlete and now I'm 60 so let's, let's go. It's, it's the quality of life um, and I think that a lot of coaches will probably overcomplicate this by putting in fancy movements or skilled movements or as, as you mentioned like box to apply plyometrics yeah. for someone that doesn't literally needs to be marching. Well, yeah, spot. we got to think about, I said at the beginning there in the, the intent. Yeah. So if we're viewing training as a hedge against being older, then really our training is, is a form of intervention. It's a medical intervention, which we're using instead of pharmaceuticals <clears throat> to overcome the side effects <clears throat> of getting older. So therefore we have to have the same ideas when we're prescribing training as we would do if we were prescribing medication which is we need to have minimum effective dosing and we need to have something which is broad and has a large impact. Yeah. So what we'd be looking to avoid, as you said, is something overcomplicated. Now that's not to say that a master's client might not do Olympic weightlifting, but they have to be in possession of the ability to perform that first. Yeah. And it's going to be more difficult. The very first thing we have to have, if we have a pathway which takes us from one type of contraction to another is that they've got to have what we call motor control first. Your ability to move your body through patterns that are required to do those more complex movements. 
and after motor control we need to have muscular endurance so there they're limited there by motor control right they're moving their body in space as they're becoming tired and not losing the shapes and patterns yeah. those kind of things build towards eventually and maybe on a tier five we've got what's called strength speed which is weightlifting and it's going to be harder because as we're aging the number of motor units that you have inside your muscle is actually decreasing so your motor control is getting worse as you're getting older yeah. because the number of these things are just dropping off it's like popping little bubbles so what we need to do to mitigate or overcome that happening is we need to try and increase the size of the remaining amount so what we're going to do is that older clients should be doing hypertrophy type training we need to increase the size of the muscle in order to help them to regain some motor control that they're losing by the fact that the motor unit numbers are actually decreasing. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be important. So we're looking that for older clients, we're going to be doing a lot more motor control work, which may look like unilateral, so single leg, single side stuff. We're working on balance and stability, but it's got to be done at rep ranges, which are going to encourage the muscle to actually grow in size. Mm -hmm. Which I've already said is also difficult because we've got decreased protein sensitivity. So we need to be looking at nutrition and be doing hypertrophy rep ranges. That may be 8 to 12s. Yeah. Although data suggests that hypertrophy can occur at all sorts of different rep ranges, but we would usually think of hypertrophy as 8 to 12s. Um, because we know that the greatest indicator that we have of production of force is the cross-sectional diameter of your muscle. So the bigger your muscle is, the more potential you have to create more force. Yeah. yeah, that's always going to bear true. And like you said, we have a problem now in the industry, which is that people people understand. I don't. I never believe that anybody has bad intent. I think everybody has good intents, mm. and that's why people want to open maybe a master's class because they've realised that maybe they need to do something different for those people. But it tends to be what happens is that a master's class just really looks like the same as the normal class but it has master's clients in mm. it so that wouldn't be a master's class to me because we need to change the training methodologies away from pushing towards intensity and look towards pushing towards hypertrophy and some aerobic work yeah yeah and that is also going to be the case for other special populations in your gym such as Emails. Yes. So this was interesting because even the guys were a little bit taken back by it. I know we spoke about it before. We touched on it in the last podcast. Um, is that women are biologically different, and there is they uh, with regard. I'm gonna let Kevin speak about it more, but we need to kind of start looking at training women differently for the outcome that is desired. Now, again. The programming itself is not harmful, but we could possibly do it better and get better long-lasting results. Um, when I first heard about this, it was a bit of a shock to me, um, but there is significant differences and uh, yeah, I'm going to let Kevin explain it properly. <laughs> So I'm to blame. Yes. <laughs> so Kevin Don, hashtag Instagram, you can check him out. <laughs> Basically, I think that I think women want to be able to do the things men do. Yeah. And they are completely right in wanting to do that, right? We should all have, you know, we're all born and created equal, right? And we have to do that. However, the way that we're going to go about doing that 
is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Because whilst women are completely entitled to equality, what we can't do is we can't treat them with privilege, which is where we say that they should just be treated the same. Women are not just small men, right? So the protocols that we're going to have in place to progress them towards being able to do the same things, such as lifting weights and getting bigger and stronger, is going to be a little bit different. Now, there's several things that are different between women and men. We've got some physiological, anatomical differences, which mean training has to be a little different. And we've also got hormonal differences. And those hormonal differences are actually going to be different, as we know, during different phases of their, of their menstrual cycle. Mm. So they're going to move through different phases. At some phases, like in the luteal stage, we're finding that the base temperature of the female body is higher. So you may want to think about if you were doing a sport such as CrossFit or you know, mixed modal, as we're gonna call it, um, at that phase, giving someone super high intensity work, you know, like Tabata or something really hard work, may not be the best thing to do because they're already experiencing a, an elevated body temperature. Yeah. So that could be one consideration. Um, also different phases in the cycle, different um, hormones are released, which are, are to do with you know, the, the rigidity or laxicity of of tendons and ligaments, so they're, they've got a little bit more mobility at certain phases than others, and so therefore soft tissues are more um, open to potential, maybe, for injury at certain phases. So having an understanding of that kind of thing is important, but also the idea that, that women are not neuromuscularly efficient in the same way as a man. So for those people who are familiar with CrossFit, there is already an example there for them, which is that the Rx, or the prescribed mm. height of a box <clears throat> jump, is 20 inches for a female and 24 for a man, irrespective of how tall the female is. Yeah. And the reason for that is neuromuscular efficiency. If you think about, just to be really simple, the connection between their brain and between the motor units in their muscles. So as they have an intent of the contraction they want to make, the ability for them to do a sudden maximal motor unit recruitment event is not quite as good. However, women have an advantage over men in the sense that their ability to do more repetitions at a higher percentage of one rep max is much, much greater. So you find that women's five rep and one rep max is really close, mm. the man they're quite far apart. So for a man to do a high percentage of work over here, it's gonna be really difficult. Yeah. A female, no problem. So just like we're talking about the rep ranges that we'd have to do there for an aging client, we've also got the same thing with women. So with aging clients, we've got decreasing testosterone levels because they're just getting older. And women, they just have a lower testosterone level because they're not men, mm. okay? And basically, they're not going to be able to build strength in the same way. So threes is not really gonna work, right? Fives, the same. So for women, we're looking at how do we get stronger well, we need to create a bigger muscle. So again, we're looking at hypertrophy rep ranges. Also doing the hypertrophy rep range where we've got just more repetitions happening, it lays in the motor pattern better. And this is how females are gonna get stronger. That's better, right, more motor. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. So, so we got better recruitment because we got a bit more efficient and laid in motor pattern. And also we're trying to just increase the diameter of the muscle a little bit. Mm. And if you just think yourself, about the body types that we've got in the high-end athletes in mixed model sport is that you do have very, very athletic women 
And then the men also, whilst being athletic though, are maybe only like 10 to 15 pounds bigger than the females. Yeah. And the reason for that is that mixed modal or CrossFit is done high repetition, submaximal load. That's hypertrophy. And it's will recruit more muscle. And that's how women get stronger. How men get stronger is less volume, more intensity, or load, we will call it in this situation. And that's when you get a physique that looks like a power lifter. So that's why we find that there's difference. So Mm. really, women should be doing higher repetitions at a more sub-maximal load. That's how they're going to get stronger. Again, it's important to have an understanding of where they are, you know, within their cycle as well, like I said, because of body temperature and, and you know, the, the rigidity of their tendons. Mm. Um, but also, in terms of things like plyometrics, which we would call speed strength movements, we find that women are possibly more open to injury of the knee. We do find there is data that women are more susceptible to non-contact injuries. And that's because of a few issues, um, which is the first one is called the angle of Q is much, much greater. So you've got this bony protrusion up here on the front of your hip, that's called the ASIS. And down here under your knee where the the knee tendon is just under the kneecap. If you draw a line down between those points and then another one up through the midline, the angle between the two is called the angle of Q. And what we find is because women have a wider pelvis, the angle of Q is greater. And that means that there's more pressure on one side of their knee joint than there is on the other. So women are more likely to have knee injuries for that reason. There's also another issue um, anatomically which is called intercondylar notch width. So if you think about, you know, if we drew a cartoon bone, not a boner like I drew earlier on. <laughs> if you draw that was like an 18 year old Reen cutting fitty giggles over uh, Kevin's drawings. And, um, so if you think about how, how maybe a thigh bone looks, and we know that at the end of it we have these yeah. two you know, bony protrusions. And these two bony protrusions at the end are the lateral and medial condyles. And in the middle there's a gap, mm. kind of valley. And that's called the intercondyle notch. And through that, we've got a few tendons and ligaments passing. Now, the thing is that in men, it tends to be that that intercondyle notch is wider. So the, the head of the bone is a lot more wide. There's more surface area to absorb impact. And in females, it's smaller and closer together. So their distribution of impact at the joint is much, much diminished than, than that of a, of a male client. So we find that plyometric type work can also expose females to greater risk potentially of injurious outcomes than we do find in male clients because of the width of that that notch there. So the bone is not able to absorb the impact quite as well. So these are some differences that people might want to think about if they're opening a program specific to females because I am 100% on board with women training differently. So if you want to open ladies at lift or barbell babes or whatever you're going to call it, do it. But you have to remember they're not many men. Mm. So we can't do that and then just give them the men's program. And basically then what makes this a ladies program is just that there's no men in attendance. Yes. Because that's not the case. It has to be written. And I know that Brand X talk about this for kids, is that you know your coach has to be specially trained to work with kids and the program has to be written for kids. Same thing with females, mm. same things with masters. You have to have a coach that understands the nuances of training those special populations and then applies it to a program that is specially written for that population. So we're looking at higher rep ranges, stuff like that. 
Um, so that was the two, uh, the two topics we really want to talk about today. Uh, it was a short podcast. Uh, well, 27 minutes isn't that short. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the camera just went dead. Hopefully I edited it well. That it doesn't look too bad. Um, but yeah, so Kevin makes you s- sit up and think about what you're doing and can you do it better. And the intent is from Kevin's point, from, from what my understanding of Kevin is, his intent of educating is to help me, my team, and whoever else he's working with to do the job better and to not have tunnel vision when it comes to working with people. Yeah. Would it be? I, when I, yeah, when I started, you know, I just only thought one way. Mm. And then eventually I came to realize that there's actually so many ways of doing things. Sometimes that I sit and I'm reading articles or looking at other people's information and then I just get get upset, you know, and I'm Mm. like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it because there's so much information out there that what's right and what's wrong. And what I've come to realize is that none of it. So the answer is what you have to have is you have to have a huge array of of things that you can prescribe, right? Because there's no one way to move. Mm. There's no one way to program. There's no one way to fix, right? It has to be multiple things and you have to have a background from so many different coaches and just pull all that in and together. And that's what I'm trying to do. I try to see myself as like a catalyst. So, you know, Ripito, Mark Bell, Ed Cohen, Jason Kalipa, blah, blah, blah. Pull all of that together. Okay, now, how do I teach people to take the best of what all these other people have to offer yeah. and put that together? Because if you find yourself stuck in one method, if you become really dogmatic, and then you won't be able to help people the best as you possibly can. It just needs to be like, you know, the, the most imperson, important person is the client. So you need to always do what's best for them. Yeah. And that means you have to have a huge, broad education in order to be able to give the best thing to them. That's the idea. Yeah. So guys, you can catch Kevin on Instagram. I'll put his handle up. Uh, and then I'm actually going to link all the other podcasts that we've done, ever done with Kevin on this podcast. So you can check out literally the evolution of what he's been saying over the years. And ever since day one, he was hitting the nail on the head and just just kept on doing it and kept on doing, coming back and learning more. Uh, guys, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we are back with some really good podcasts coming up, um, some good interviews happening. So again, like, subscribe, check it out on Podbean, YouTube, and on Spotify. And we are done. You're listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast.